Welcome to the 47th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Too often, when rural communities consider economic development options, they ignore resources already available in the area. Instead, they go chasing smokestacks, using tax breaks and other incentives to entice outside industries. Such an economic development strategy can lead to a business climate in which communities get taken advantage of financially and environmentally. Studies have shown that industries that rely on outside investors often export dollars out of community, leaving little wealth local. The folks in Woodbury County, Iowa, are trying a different strategy. Led by Rob Marcusy, its Energetic Rural Economic Development Director, the county has put in place a set of groundbreaking initiatives that use as their foundation a long-overlooked resource, local family farmers and the food they produce. For example, the county has instituted policies that provide property tax abatements to landowners who convert to organic production. Woodbury County also has in place a policy that, whenever possible, it purchased organic foods grown and processed within a 100-mile radius of the courthouse. The county's Board of Supervisors put these policies in place after Marcusy presented them study after study, showing how locally-based food systems are an excellent way to generate wealth in a community and keep it local. Marcusy concedes that the county has a long ways to go before local family farming and local food systems are major drivers in the region's economy but it's already serving as a new economic development model for other rural communities around the country. Marcusy recently gave a keynote at the Minnesota Organic Conference. He talked about what his county has done, how they went about doing it, and future plans for even more innovative rural economic development initiatives. The priority generally of economic development groups at the state level, typically, at least in Iowa it has been, and certainly in many of the local, the counties don't really want to get into policy setting too much. So what you've got is you've got a priority on urban development. There is almost 100% focus now on the development of industrial, commercial, and residential development. That is economic development. If you bring, the thing, I would have been, if I had gone this way, if I had brought in an olive garden, I would have been a god. Okay, because that's what people look at. If you get an olive garden and ethanol plant, they think you're the best economic development director the world has ever seen. And we also know that in these rural communities, we have a lot of chain, you know, we have a lot of chain restaurants, a lot of chains and stores, chains here, chains there. We are the chain capital of the world because they bring it in, they build up a store or a restaurant. They end up paying more tax base. County supervisors and commissioners are happy. So the idea is, is just to get and to recruit as many people as you can to move into your community so they can hire your young wage earners at minimum wage. That's the goal. Priority again is wage benefit criteria. And the priority is to look and to recruit. Most economic development that I have seen has primarily been into the recruitment phase. You recruit somebody from outside of your area to provide a lot of capital investment on land. Now, we do know that many county commissioners and supervisors, county policy has, you do get an abatement. You have urban renewal law, you have various different things. And what they do is they provide abatements, 5, 10, 15 year abatements. 
That has been true on the organic, on the, not the organic, but on the ethanol trade. We know there have been 15-year, 100% tax abatements given for those projects. One of the things that I saw also is that farming and small business has not typically been seen as an economic development strategy. In fact, there's nobody else doing it. Because what happened is, is that they don't see farm. If they know that they can get land and the farmer knows that they can get so much more per acre, there's always pressure for that farmer to sell the land. Especially if you have elderly farmers and no next generation farmers. Unless they want to put it into a trust, they want to take the cash rents, and then you've got the windsurfing kids out in Hawaii receiving a check. I don't mean to be sarcastic and cynical, but I'm sorry, I probably am. So the focusing on rural development has occurred in transforming the very purpose of the town. Where once, as our story began, we had those people traveling, our great pioneers traveling over the Great Plain. They saw that the land was good to grow crops and raise cattle. Those people are not in the radar of typical economic development strategies. If they know that they can get an industry, they're going to wipe out the farmland, they're going to get the industry, and they're going to get additional tax base. So this is, in conclusion of that point, here's a little visual that I can show you. Essentially what's happening with traditional economic development strategies are that the small, the large volume, economy of scale, is what really rules the day. The focus, again, is on wage-based employment benefits. There's little motivation for entrepreneurship. Economic development, typically company recruitment. So therefore, there becomes a loss in the farm labor and fewer rural residents. That's what's happening. That's the cause that's been identified. So to give you an example of how much money is being spent out there in traditional economic development strategies, and I'll get to what Woodbury County is doing very soon, but I think it's very important that you understand how things have developed in the rural communities in Iowa. For instance, Iowa Department of Economic Development gave $535,000 to a large concern to add four to nine jobs in biodiesel. Typically, you have about a $4 million benefit package given to ethanol facilities to build. That's in addition to the uh, blender's tax credit and any other federal or state subsidies for ethanol. You've got Regulations favor large processing houses and seed patents. On the ethanol side, uh, David Swenson of the University of uh, Iowa State University, economist, has calculated approximately 70 cents per gallon uh, subsidy, overall subsidy, counting state, federal, and local benefits per gallon. So the average ethanol subsidy for a typical 100 million gallon facility is a $70 million subsidy for that one plant. And of course you've got the farm subsidies. Now here's the impact. The primary beneficiary is non-local owners and processing. Environment is, environment is severely compromised to water and topsoil. Less local control. And we end up having a national health and obesity crisis. So this is what we did in Woodbury County. So put yourself again in my perspective. Put yourself in my shoes for a second. We have to address the market forces which caused the decline in these rural communities. We need to localize as much as possible and integrate what's left of an integrated economy in the, in the, rural, in the rural communities. 
We need to diversify production, as you well know. Uh, in Minnesota as well as Iowa, in particular in Iowa, the number of diversification, the number of crops that are actually grown has significantly been reduced. So we want to increase that diversity. Business retention, small farms to me and to Woodbury County is the number one priority for economic development. Strange, huh? You are our primary focus, period. I'm not, a, I'm doing an equestrian center. They want me to do a uh, mega industrial site, and I'll probably do it. I'm sure I'll do it, they told me to. But our primary focus in the county is you. And trolling for outside business is not in my radar, except for one program we've entered in. Benefits to the local economy of the local foods is that existing local producers, we support local talent and community building, it's low cost compared to the $50 billion that's spent by state and local governments. Can you imagine getting 1% of that as a, as a way to increase your production and support small family farms? And we're looking for low volume, high margin, the reverse of large economy of scale, thin margin for our development. In other words, we want to produce again. Remember the old days? Coca-Cola, Pepsi, brand names, wholesome bread, white bread, Cheerios, General Mills, all these things started somewhere. They were all developed somehow. Plaps, Blue Ribbon, Beer, Miller High Life, Budweiser. They all started somewhere. Florida Orange Juice. It all started somewhere. What we need to do is refocus so we can have a new economic boom in high margin food prices that provide quality and health benefits. So what we did, now I'm getting to the crux of my talk, we finally got there, is that in, 19, uh, in 2005, on January 28th, I took the job in March 21st of 2005. A couple months later, we passed a policy. And it was meant to, to address those factors leading to the economic decline, which is farm consolidation due to farm subsidies and also technology dealing with GMO uh, seed and, and uh, herbicides and pesticides. So in order to counter that, we decided to give 100% tax rebate to any farmer who would convert from conventional to organic farming for five years. So it's not only for the three-year transition, typical transition. We also give that tax rebate to CRP that's readily certifiable immediately. So if you have CRP, you haven't been farming it, you want to put it into organic production, you get 100% rebate of all real property taxes. No matter where the levy comes from, whether it's a school district or whatever, you get the money back even if the money initially went and was paid to the taxing district. We uh, entered into a, an arrangement with federal government. Senator Harkin had a, a Woodbury County Health Initiative in August of 05. We bought a van and we started taking local foods in this van out to the rural communities. And the big one that got a lot of press was on uh, January 10th, 2006, we initiated the first mandatory local food purchase policy in the nation. What we did was we said we have spent $300,000 every year for conventional food for our prisoners, our juvenile detention centers, our work release programs. And what we said was 
four to five vote, there was one person who was against us on the board, but I got a pretty good majority, I said, we are going to support our local farmers. In that program, we developed a local, we mandated a local single point of contact or a local foods broker. So that immediately provided a $300,000 market. Shortly after the passage, actually the next day of the passage, there was an article, editorial in the Sioux City Journal, opposing this, opposing this, this uh, policy, claiming, quote, after all, we live in a free market. We believe that price is king. And if the local foods, the growers, the organic growers, can sell it at the same price as conventional food, so be it. But let's not make it mandatory because we don't want as taxpayers to pay any more money for the food. That was their response. I issued a rebuttal that they graciously published. And I made the point here. This is just to show that the perspective is very important here. A mindset is extremely important in how you approach this. In my rebuttal, I said, you are a Florida county, Orange County, you're in Orlando, Florida. And you need a massive amounts of orange juice, so you put it out for bid. And the California orange growers come in at $500,000, $5,000, less than the Florida orange growers. What county commissioner in their right friggin' mind will buy the California orange juice? What county commissioner or board of supervisor will put their own people out of business in order to save a buck? And I take issue with the notion of free market. There is no such thing as a free market. And if you're looking at free market, the Woodbury County policy is far closer to free market than the existing food system. Because all we're doing is paying the true value for the food without subsidy. We're paying what that food is actually worth. And if it's worth more, and we pay more, that money stays in the community. Now, a lot of people use a multiplier of seven times. I don't buy it. But what we did was, in this policy, is we set a cap. So we knew that the benefit would be there. And if it exceeds that price cap, we know that the benefit won't be. So what we did was we're very reasonable. We said we would pay up to 1.5% higher price for local food. You can set it at any cap. We said that the multiplier was 1.5, 1.5, not 7. But that's still a tremendous benefit on a $300,000 contract. Here are the collateral results, the results in our community. We have a local, uh, or we have an organics classes at Western Iowa Tech Community College. We've made a contract with the Whole Foods of Omaha. We have a local foods broker, education center. We have an organic farmer networks and mentoring. We have an organics growers conference, a local organic growers conference every year. We've had business inquiries from the United States, from around the United States and the chamber. We've created a board exchange seeking to match farmer with the land. We have a new local brand called Sioux City Sioux Foods. Uh, I've been before Congress on April 18th, uh, testifying in the first historic hearing before the U.S. Representatives on Organic Agriculture's Economic Development. Uh, we have an organic market project uh, that has brought together the city, the county, and the Chamber of Commerce in a unified view that this is our priority in our area is to promote local foods. 
We have a 501c3 for education, and we are working diligently with the Leopold Center at Iowa State University. Now, you can't read this, but this gives you some idea. What we've done is we've created a chart on how a local food system is developed in our region. Essentially, on the top and unconnected to the for-profits, we have our 501c3 that basically drives the vision. In the center of the big circle is the farm cooperative, and that acts as a single point of uh, contact for our local foods program, but it also serves institutional sales. So because if you're going to grow your business, you have to have somebody who can then provide those local foods. Uh, to the multiple groups. We have to work with CBM Foods, which is like a local Cisco. You've got a whole bunch of barriers relating to industrial food systems and, and distribution. We've created a relationship with farm. They create a relationship with farmers. And then at the very bottom, what we have is, is a national market. Local foods doesn't, and production doesn't mean that you can't be part of a national market. In fact, that's encouraged. It's sort of a dual purpose. Because we believe that if local products can be that much better, then the local people should be able to expand their markets beyond the local food chain. So what we did was, or actually we didn't do it at all, a Wisconsin company moved into our region because of our policy and this is probably the biggest impact that will have an effect on you. They are building a $40 million organic soybean processing plant, and construction has already begun. $40 million into a processing facility. From what? From a policy that costs zero. What we did is we created a vision for organic agriculture in our region, and people were attracted to it. And here's the deal, and you guys can probably take advantage of this, Right now, they're paying about 17 and a quarter per bushel on beans. We need to convert over five years an impossible number. Believe me, I don't believe we'll ever do it. I, I mean, there's no way we're going to do it. They need 274.9 thousand acres of conversion to meet their total second phase demand. The reason why they need so many acres is because, of course, you've got perhaps a four-year rotation. So we've made a provision with American Natural Soy in Cherokee to handle the, uh, the uh, crop rotations that are not soy. So you can take a look at the opportunity just from this particular plant, and it's astronomical. We also have, and something I'm really proud of, uh, I mention this a lot only because these are the kind of people I just love and respect. We have Peggy Hammer, who is with the uh, Peggy's biscotti. She makes those little biscotti cookies. And she had a little storefront with two people working. She had little kids. She's a nutritionist by uh, trade and, and training. Now she is buying a large old car dealership building in the same town in Moville, and she has 12 full-time employees. And why? She's selling her organic biscotti to Whole Foods down in Omaha. She makes an organic line that she sells on the internet. She's had inquiries from Carnival Cruise Line and other cruise lines and planes to sell her biscotti. So what she has done is she's trying to improve her customer base, trying to increase her customer base, and she's gone organic on her biscotti line. This is what we developed last year as a Sioux City Sioux brand. Uh, we paid for this to have done, you know, to get done. 
Uh, Sioux City Sioux, you, for those old enough to remember Sioux City Sioux, Sioux City Sioux, I think it was, it was first of all, a song and a movie. Gene Autry was in it, if I recall. So we wanted to use the Woodbury County, Woodbury County wanted to trademark that. It was not taken. The only, the only potential conflict we worked out was with Sioux Bee Honey, which is in our area as a honey association, and I'm sure you're all familiar with. But what we did was we wanted to use this mark as the ability for having a county trademark and marketing arm. So if you are a producer and you want to sell your goods, understand what we have is this trademark. We will do the marketing for you. And underneath this on the, on the jar or can or whatever we do, we actually have the name of the producer of the, of the food goods. So your name will be perpetuated. You will be able to continue that. Now, if you have your own line of branded material of food and you want to sell it outside of this, this is fine. What we just wanted to do was create some service at the county level to market under a quality brand. Now, here's the biggest event. This is the biggest thing that happened in our community. We entered into, for the first time in history, a three-way partnership between the Siouxland Chamber of Commerce, Woodbury County, and the City of Sioux City to create the organic market project. Woodbury County statistics show that we spend about $203 million for groceries every year just in our county. What we're looking to do is to get about 10% of that over the next five years in terms of total sales. That and an additional $10 million from institutional payments, we're looking to receive about $21 million to our local economy. So what we've created is a regional economy. We create integrated local food systems. We integrate a local supply and demand chains. This is very important. Uh, local can lead to national markets. It opens us up to a significant amount of grant funding opportunities. It's very, very low cost economic development. Regional policies and programs is opportunity, and we need to take control of our economic future. Organic farming is economic development. This is what we're doing here. What we're doing as a community is supporting our farmers and giving them a fair opportunity to serve our citizens and provide food at fair competitive prices and making a decent living in the process. I want to inform you what I'm working on next. Right now, uh, I just want to, first of all, I, I need to commend an individual. His name is Menno Lambright. He's a producer for Organic Valley. He and uh, about eight or so others came out to the county courthouse. Um, they came out from Wisconsin. And they were interested in potentially establishing a Amish community in our area. Try to find farmland because they don't want terrace land. They need wooded land. Anyway, it was a great experience having Menno with us and, and his, uh, his fellow Amish workers. When he left, I got a call from Menno. He says, you know, I have one word for you. And he said to me, homestead. So I said, okay. So I went on the net and I read the Homestead Act of 1862, signed into law by Abraham Lincoln. And in that, you know the homestead program where they gave off, what was it, 100, was it 160 or 320? I think it was 160 acres. And for anybody who would farm it. So what we did was over the last eight months, I've been trying to figure out how to finance new young farmers. And I'm working on this program now that will provide a national model for 100% financing at 4%, no principal or interest payments for the first three years. 
And if they're in Woodbury County, they get a five-year tax rebate of five years. So they get, they get to walk on their five- to 40-acre farm, no money down, no principal payments, no interest payments for the first three years. The term of the loan is going to be, is the USDA beginning farmer rancher program, is 4% over 15 years, principal payments beginning in year four. The skin in the game in this particular program will be that they're also required to move to the community or on the farm, but to the community nearest the farm. The object of the program will be to have more attractive opportunity and remove the barriers for young, new farmers. They will have to buy land. We have the city of Danbury has passed a city council resolution participating in the county program that will provide a free buildable lot in their community to any farmer who wants to move and take advantage of this, of this program. So we feel that this is going to be really removing a lot of the impediment. We also have a deal with Habitat for Humanity, and they will participate in the building of this home if that is the option that the farmer undertakes. The idea is to provide opportunity for new young farmers to get into farming, to move into these communities, and to remake these communities in the vision that was originally intended. And that is for small family farms in thriving rural communities. For more information, see LSB's special report on Woodbury County's Rural Economic Development Program at www.landstewardshipproject.org. Click on Resources and follow the links to the publication Putting Farming Back in the Driver's Seat. Send your comments and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also call me at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a western Minnesota musician who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member and you'd like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening.